Happy Tuesday, and thanks for bringing yourself back to the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, speaking of the Experimental Aircraft Association, one of my colleagues, my buddy Dennis Dunbar, is back again. He was uh, with us yesterday and kind enough to come back today. So Dennis, uh, the Director of AirVenture Airshow Operations, a weighty title. Thanks for coming back, my friend. Oh, it's my pleasure. That was fun yesterday. Yeah, how, how many people go to the air show? I, mean, I know that it's a huge number, but I, I don't know the, the exact figures of what you like. What, how did last year it's, go? Yeah, put your promoter hat on, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> 1. 1.2 million people. No, no, no. I'm kidding. No, we have to. That's per minute through the gate. That's, <laughs> that's right. About 1.2. I think last year we had about 560,000. Is that right, Hal? Yeah, yeah. It always adds up. Uh, it, it's been pretty historically in that half million, yeah. uh, half million range. And We've on, been. I, any given day, I think, uh, you know, there might be, what is it, 150,000 people on the grounds, something something like that. It could be I thought it was ways, a little higher than that, honestly, that could be. but um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great crowd. How, how, many, how many planes are on the ground at, at any given, I'm assuming half of them are in the air, but. <laughs> well, well, we will have 10,000 airplanes here throughout the week, and, uh, but on the ground at any one time, it's, it's about, it's a little less than half of that. Um, you just can't physically, we can't physically fit any more airplanes on the airport. Right. So yeah, we have had a few, a few occasions that certainly in the nine years I've been here that, uh, that it's actually been full, that, uh, yeah. there, there is not another parking spot for another airplane. And so airplanes have to divert to nearby airports and wait for things to open up. We'll have and, a turnover, you know, there, there is turnover. So it's never like, you know, we're, we're full. You, you may fly in and end up going to. Fond du Lac or Appleton for the night, but usually that next morning we can get you back in here. As we we start departures at six a.m. and um, arrivals don't start until seven a.m. and usually we've got place to accommodate those folks that do want to come and camp at Oshkosh. So, but it's probably good to point out for those that don't know and 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 forgive the uh, sort of inside baseball as they say. But uh, if you're not aware, the this uh, you know event we talk about here in Oshkosh every summer. Um, our airport, our humble little uh, little Whitman Regional Airport, becomes the busiest airport in the world uh, yep. for one for one week. Oh, the so. tower guys get uh, combat pay for that. Do you get that duty if you're yeah. bad? For that? Actually, no. The the tower guys bid for it, and yeah. uh, and they come from uh, from not quite all over the country, but. Uh, we it, it's a contract control tower, uh, sort of the rest of the year, and so the guys that uh, that are working the tower now that I'd go and talk to today if I were to go flying right this afternoon, um, are not the ones who are working the air show. It's a uh, it's it's a group that's assembled and and uh, people bid for it, and it's a it's a considered a, a you know it's a competitive thing to try to come and be a controller yep. here at Oshkosh, whether you're in the tower, uh, on one of the stations around the grounds or out at, uh, out at Fisk, we, there's a little trailer set up and a little remote control tower, uh, sort of like the, sort of like an approach controller, but not like any other, any other air show or flying anywhere in the world. We have our moo cows, we call them set yes. up, which control the departures and landings on particular runways. We have, um, 
Yeah, there's 75 controllers that come. They literally do come from around the country, but most tend to come from the Midwest area. Um, yeah, I just, I've heard into, in the past there's sort of there's regions that say you know like this year it's mostly the southeast region and you tend yeah. so you tend to get a bunch of guys from like my uh, my buddy David who knows maybe even is out there listening who comes up from uh, like from Greenville South Carolina he's been <laughs> been a number of times but anyway they do a pretty amazing job there's about really seventy five of them there's sixteen teams of four I. Th- think plus or minus um and then they've got like the oms and the supervisors that make up the rest and it's just it's uh it's fantastic how they come together and do this it's almost set up as if it's like two different airfields because our our runways do not intersect um we have our east west runway 927 that's on the north side of the airport and they'll have its own totally separate arrival departure procedures frequencies things like that and then we have our southern complex, which is runway 1836. But during Air Venture, we also turn the parallel taxiway into a runway as well. So we have 36 left, 36 right. And they all have their own separate procedures and things to follow. And depending on the weather, the time, and you know what operations are in effect, there's a notum book that you'll refer to for each to get the specifics on that particular runway. So it's a, it's a notum unlike any other. Um, it is an actual book or, you know, you can download it online. It's huge. And it describes in detail the operations to how to get in and out. That could be a whole episode. I'd yeah. waste all your time talking <laughs> about that. It's but an we, amazing um, operation. We also have the, uh, the ultralight runway. So we've got a small, mm-hmm. what is that, 1,200-foot grass runway, something like that. Uh, ultralights are using that powered parachutes and things, so they're they're operating again under their own sort of set of terms. So you've got airports within the airport, and, yep. and it's uh, helicopter it's a, patterns and right. seaplane base, and yeah, so. it's quite a production. Let's talk a little bit about the history of Oshkosh. How did Oshkosh become the center of all things general aviation? <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know we're at uh, EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association, and uh, um, you know, I don't want this to turn into a total self-promotion, but we started in as an organization in 1953. As a group of 30 people got together and, and wanted to talk about how to uh, support each other in, in the world of cheap flying, especially with building your own airplanes. And uh, the first fly-in was, uh, I believe, it was September of 53. That first meeting was in January. And it's at Timmerman Field, uh, it was then Curtis Wright uh, Airport. Curtis Wright, a name that uh, we, we hear a lot uh, on the Rocketeer Minute. And started with an initial flying, and a few people came, and then a few more people came. Uh, in 1955, uh, the uh, the flying was moved to Oshkosh uh, for one year, and uh, didn't really. Um, it was just a temporary thing, or it wasn't really the right time, and everything. So then it moved back to uh, Milwaukee. Then in '59 uh, or '60. Um, we went to uh, Rockford, Illinois. I think 60 was the first year in Rockford. Maybe, you, I don't know if you know that better than I do, Dennis. Anyway, then 60 to 69 uh, or so was in uh, was in Rockford. Then in 1970, we were looking for a new uh, permanent home and came to Oshkosh in 1970. So every year since then, uh, our annual fly-in and membership convention has been in Oshkosh, and it's just uh, it's just grown ever since. Um, starting with the home-built routes, then reaching out to the antiques and classics and the warbirds. 
Um, and it's just been a, it's just been a steady progression. And now, you know, we're pretty proud of the fact you can go just about anywhere in the world and talk to any pilot and say Oshkosh. And they don't think, you know, Oshkosh bagosh overalls. They think, <laughs> uh, they think aviation. Yeah. It's pretty humbling. Um, I just keep, I keep wondering like with, with a few, there must be, uh, do you have a lot of rotary? I, I, I've never seen anything about rotary wing, uh, coming to Oshkosh. We, Is that we a do. thing? Or? In fact, uh, this year we're expecting even more helicopters than normal. Uh, it's the Rotorway Helicopters 50th anniversary, so we're expecting several of those. Um, we 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 do certainly have a lot of helicopters. It's just uh, there's so many other aircraft that um, uh, I, I hate to say you don't see as uh, so much. I think it. I mean, there's quite an emphasis on helicopters at Oshkosh. Yeah, and one of the things I think is really interesting, um, so a couple of areas you can look. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, we've got sort of helicopter display areas. Um, you're starting to see more and more helicopter warbirds, which I think is very cool, privately owned uh, yeah. Hueys and Cobras and uh, like the Hughes, the Loach, uh, you know, Vietnam era helicopters in private hands being flown as warbirds, which I think is really cool. Then, of course, down at our uh, ultralight section, you can go down there and you see gyrocopters and home-built helicopters and amazing little single-seat things that look like sort of a lawn chair on a stick that you can hop in and fly. I know. I know. This is a how high is up question, but of, of <laughs> all your of all your uh, experiences at the Oshkosh Air Shows, what what are each of your favorite like the most oddball things you've seen to fly that they oh, come into Oshkosh? I know that's there's there's probably a realm of possibilities. Or you can give me the top three. Maybe that would be interesting. <laughs> you first, Dennis. Ah, let's <laughs> alternate. Um, okay, you pick one. I'll pick one. You you know, and mine are going to be a little more. Like the Martin Mars to me was a big deal to see that come over and do its drop because of all the work involved in getting that airplane here. Yep. Um, yep. It, which a lot of maybe a lot of folks would are surprised I say that one, but it was very rewarding to see that when it finally and, flew over. And for those that don't know, we're talking about a massive, massive four-engine World War II era uh, flying boat that has been uh, basically working ever since uh, the fifties. Um, all but nonstop uh, as a fire bomber based out in uh, British Columbia, Canada. Um, great to have that airplane here. And then a lot of people are wondering, well, why can't we go and see it on display? And it's, you, you can't walk up to it because it has no wheels. It's truly a flying boat. So we park it in the lagoon near our seaplane base and you could do boat tours out to it. Yeah. But as you said, yeah, pretty exceptional uh, uh, logistics and planning went into that. Oh. Seeing uh, the... Eagles aerobatic team here to me was an iconic Oshkosh moment. That was obviously before I started working here, but um, uh, always such a fan of that team and uh, Charlie Hillard, Gene Susie, Tom Poberesny. But, uh, you know, Charlie Hillard was always a hero of mine, and to uh, be able to work in the Charlie Hillard Air Ops building now is, for me personally, very rewarding. So I think seeing the Eagles aerobatic team here is one of the things I feel blessed to have seen and you actually uh, see those guys uh, performing in another aviation film that uh, that we will talk about a tiny bit here and there throughout this this uh, podcast series uh, but they're in uh, they're in Iron Eagle 3 there's uh, there's a bunch of stuff shot at an air show and uh, so toward the beginning of Iron Eagle 3 you get to see the Eagles aerobatic team yep. which 
Dunbar, you and I think that's cool, <laughs> but uh, we may be the only ones. So when it comes time to do the Iron Eagle minutes, it's going to be you I, and me. I, I often think. wonder if uh, you gave me minute 42 because of the hood ornament reference in this one. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the line of the movie, though. I mean, that, that, that you know, how do you look like a, like a hood ornament? It is. Well, in, in Iron Eagle, it's referenced, you know, it's about started a new career as a hood ornament. As a hood ornament, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Something about the hood and, ornaments must have been very popular when these movies were made. Yeah, so. absolutely. And another, uh, not to give away the store, but uh, um, for those that don't know, if you've seen the original Iron Eagle and if you remember um, uh, Doug Masters' girlfriend was played by a teenage uh, Melora Hardin, who's also... Uh, uh, here in our film, and uh, the singer in the South Seas Club. Yeah. Before she went on to become Jan from uh, Jan from the Office. So interesting little uh, little tie in there. But yeah, that hood ornament line is just is just perfect because the hood ornaments back then were so cool. We don't, you know, we don't really have them anymore. But uh, but how we can't get off track because I answered two of my favorites oh, so far. Did. You haven't done one yet. So, well, my favorite thing about uh, coming to Oshkosh is just seeing you, Dennis, and whatever you're doing, walking around, you know, running things, everything else. Certainly the Martin Mars, uh, kidding aside, was a huge deal for me. Um, and it, it's tough that, and this isn't a cop out answer, but it is, it, it's so tough to pick anything because this is one of the few yeah. events or things to me where sort of quantity is quality. It's like, you know, going and seeing thousands and thousands of airplanes anywhere at the same time is, is a huge deal for me. Um, one of the biggest things, probably two things that stick out, uh, you know, the last several years, aside from seeing uh, seeing our own family airplane uh, here after a three-day flight from Seattle, the, uh, my first visit back in 1989, aside from that, uh, it would be probably a White Night with Spaceship One, uh, sort of stopping in Oshkosh between... Uh, uh, headquarters in Mojave on their way to drop off Spaceship One to be on display in the Smithsonian uh, Institution's National Air and Space Museum. So that's a big deal that you've got what is now this historic uh, sort of priceless museum piece, but we're going to stop at Oshkosh and let everybody get a good look at it before it uh, gets hung up in the museum. And effectively the same thing happened with the, uh, it wasn't quite as a director out, but with the, uh, the Boeing uh, 307 Stratoliner. Oh, wow. Uh, absolutely beautiful Stunning, stunning. It, it, the the nose looks kind of like the Rocketeer helmet, in fact. So if you imagine a B-17 uh, with an airliner fuselage on it, only uh, 10 were built. Amazing that one flew, and, and Boeing worked heavily uh, on the restoration of that. Um, flew it out to Oshkosh, flew it back to the Seattle area, landed it in the water in Elliott Bay, and uh, when they ran out of gas, then re-restored it, took that out to the Smithsonian out in D.C., Wow. But for us to get to see it here, uh, and that was actually shortly before I started working here, so I was coming out, to, coming out to just see the show as a sponsor and an exhibitor rather than having any involvement with it, and uh, a stunning airplane. Uh, you get any uh, groom and gooses out that way, or? Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's always uh, we've got kind of an amphibian section on the main grounds, and then of course we mentioned our seaplane base. So you'll see a, a goose and a widgeon, and a lot of times you'll see you can see the whole family. You might see a goose. And a widgeon and a mallard and an albatross all parked together. Wow. And uh, that's just amazing. And, and uh, once in a while, uh, down in Warbirds, we'll see uh, the Grumman Duck, the uh, sort of the big, sturdy, single-float biplane. Wow. Okay, I definitely have to come out. I can't do yes, it this year, but maybe next year. <laughs> I'm busy recording a, busy recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're going to be too busy Priorities, to talk Jim. to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, this, this, I, I don't want to. I don't want to cut the minute too too short because this is one of our best minutes. But it, it really is uh, an amazing scene here with the uh, the combination of the live action Billy Campbell jumping up in the air, and we're going to be talking with him some more. And there's a Billy Campbell minute coming up where we talk more about the the difference between him and the models. But just that, I I just love that one scene where James Horner goes into a full you know. <laughs> It's like you you reach you achieve the new level, and he 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 right. takes off with the rocketeer, and that the rocketeer That's is heading up into the sky. The ca- the background camera is spinning, the, uh, the the models are spinning, everything. You know, it's just so dynamic. And as always, as soon as Cliff lights the rockets, poor PV is you <laughs> yeah. know gets knocked back, and it's just it's like I don't think Cliff is, can fly without PV there to knock over with the, uh, the 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 jet blast. Yeah, yeah, but he and he doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really have good uh, pitch control. He just kind of kind of everywhere he does does that loop, does another loop, and then right. he keeps just flying in at random random angles. And it's yeah, he's, he's, and then we see that uh, we see the Miss Los Angeles that brown B two go zipping by and. That's a really, really cool, uh, cool shot. You know, I had done some, uh, some, some reading, and again, as we mentioned yesterday, um, at the time we're recording this, we're still hoping to get Craig Hosking on the show, so we may have covered this a bit. But uh, um, he had actually done quite a bit of filming with uh, a stuntman hanging on wires from the Bell helicopter. Uh, with so you've got the stuntman, you've got the. Uh, some degree of practical effect flames coming out of the back of the rocket and then the helicopter just towing him around and things like that and i I think we see a tiny bit of that but uh but he said that joe johnson just thought that it just didn't ever look like he was going fast enough the fastest he could go towing the stuntman under the helicopter and make it stable was about 60 miles an hour and that wasn't enough to give the great effect so certainly in this minute we see you know, we see composited models and uh, and that sort of but thing. But still, imagine imagine hanging from a helicopter at sixty miles an hour on a wire. <laughs> right. Well, and then you've got a director down there saying, eh, "I don't think that was fast enough." Yeah, more <laughs> intensity. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. Faster, more intense. Um, but quite, yeah, quite a scene, and we get a great view of all the all the, the good people of Santa Maria, who uh, wanted to be in the show, and sure enough, there they are at dawn, just getting their yeah. getting their picture took. Something like uh, 700 extras brought in to, to fill the grandstands. Now, that's uh, it's been kind of an interesting question for you, Dennis. We have a few seating areas, but um, and certainly for at, at Reno places like for air races, uh, as opposed to an air show or fly-in like ours, um, you see some grandstand stuff. But for the most part, uh, air shows these days, we don't really have grandstands. No, we really don't see it that much anymore. A lot of it, it's it's an expensive addition to our what we have is our air show liability insurance policies. Uh, what we call them is this air meet liability insurance policies, what they're really called. But the to add bleachers is significant expense. Um, so sometimes the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. Now, you'll see it at Miramar. Uh, in fact, Miramar, it looks like their entire flight line, except like the last, you know, 300 feet on either side seems to be bleachers. Really? Um, but, uh, yeah, Reno for the races, but really the you – know, you've got some air shows that might throw a bleacher, you know, a small, like you'd see at a kid's, you know, t-ball game or something, sectional bleachers up here and there. But that's uh, really it. What we are starting to see is more interest in uh, doing air shows at some unique locations. Um, you've heard, you know, Red Bull Air Race has been doing some events at, the tr- at some of the motor speedways, um, Indianapolis, Texas, uh, uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, 
there's been some air shows tried to do that and um, they haven't happened yet however um, um, I'm actually involved in one at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in this September that's going to happen and uh, so that'll be the first in a long time that we've seen air shows at motor speedways and the way the Atlanta Motor Speedway it's set up is is a great venue to host an air show so um, it was kind of short notice to get it going so we don't have like the Blue Angels or Thunderbirds because they have a two-year schedule process but we've got some single ship demos we're gonna land like uh, Kent Peach is gonna land on pit road on the do his truck top landing there going down pit road and um, cool. we'll land a lot of the stuff in the track it's gonna be pretty neat um, but you know we hope to get a jet team in there in the future and uh, it's gonna be a neat venue and those grandstands are perfect for it so oh, that's very cool yeah and you know speaking of the grandstands and the air show and everything else I'm scrubbing ahead here to about second 36 and uh, this shot unless I'm completely mistaken which only happens about 50% of the time um, this is a shot where we've got a stuntman who's uh, sort of attached to the outside of the Bell 206 helicopter that Greg Hosking is flying. Um, so you're behind the uh, behind the stuntman shooting forward, um, and you know, so mounted on something sort of out, kind of on and in front of the skid. Um, so I bring it up to you, Dennis, because uh, here we have a guy with a rocket on his back, flying directly at the crowd. And, wow, uh, that, that is, is a uh, um, yeah. I, I didn't realize that they had done that um, you know, with um, with a helicopter and a stuntman hanging I, off. I figured that was a CGI thing, but if you talk to Craig, then I'm sure it's true because um, that is an amazing shot. That makes that whole degree of difficulty a lot harder. Movies they get away with some of this stuff. Um, the I think it's the most recent James Bond movie. If you remember the helicopter scene that Chuck Aaron flew in Mexico, oh, sure, yeah, oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the aerobatics was not done over the people at that altitude. Um, you know, they went and with the camera angles were able to do some things to make it look like it was there. But he, he was flying right over these people doing non-aerobatic stuff, which this pass, even with the stuntman hanging from it, would have been considered and. The helicopters in the movie world tend to get away with a little bit more than we do in the airship business. So sure. It's totally l legit to do that. I just, that's an amazing shot they pulled off. See, and I had always assumed that this was just model work or something else. But when you go through it frame by frame, the lighting and everything, everything just matches, uh, to me, matches too well, too perfectly. And knowing that they... they they shot a lot of stuff with that stuntman sort of attached to the helicopter. Again, not dangling on a rig, but sort of attached out there. But, but, uh, but of course, you know, directing energy toward the crowd is a phrase I've, a phrase I've heard you use in air shows as being well, a, it's aerobatic a energy. No, no. At aerobatic the crowd. energy. Okay, and, interesting. And that's not necessarily aerobatic, but the, yeah, that's uh, true. It is interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I've watched this about 14 times now since you mentioned it. And <laughs> I think you're right, buddy. That is yeah. so cool. Look at that. Yeah. And, of, of course, like you said, it's not an air show. This is a uh, – although, what kind of waivers could you possibly get those people to sign? Right. We're going to throw somebody at you at about 60 miles an hour, oh. and it's a helicopter right behind them. Well, like you said, so movie, uh, you know, mm -hmm. movie rules very, very different from uh, – Commercial rules, but interesting though, because you've got you know these these people in the stands are just the you know it's not seven hundred stunt people up there. <laughs> it's well, it's extras also, from Santa Maria. 
you know, the FAA has people dedicated to doing these kinds of things. And, you know, one of the reasons that Hollywood would use Craig Hoskins so much is the relationship he has with these folks. And sure. there's a trust there. And um, uh, it's so they're able to do those things. Yeah, it is a it is a stunning thing though. Just watch, just right. watching this and knowing, you know, this is well beyond before the days of heavy green screen use, or this would possibly right. be, you know, not only the the crowd would probably be CGI as well as the the Rocketeer being CGI. Yeah, um, and the sky and the ground yeah. and everything else would the yeah, whole and, thing and, would be and CGI it, today. It, it all would have been the same time of day. I mean, when we watch Paul, Paul Servino, obviously it's near noontime with the, the the sun is high in the sky. When we cut yeah. back to uh, the Rocketeer flying over the crowd, it's either early morning or late evening. And uh, it's oh sure yeah you know I mean it which just kind of adds to that's yeah. the realism of yeah this this was a really filmed event this wasn't like the blue screen that we're seeing when uh, when the Rocketeer flies by Miss Los Angeles you can see the mat lines and things like that but uh, right yeah that second thirty nine forty yeah. to forty two somewhere in there you can see that's the that's almost certainly the I would assume that's the puppet yeah but as as that, uh, uh, you know as Billy says that's flea picking and you're really they're watching the show and this is really just you're rooting you're really rooting for the rocketeer to save the day even though he he doesn't seem to be able to save himself in this it's like oh gosh right. i he's, hope he doesn't hit something <laughs> he's struggling yeah and you then know, of course you've got the uh you've got that great uh, the great line you've got uh the reporter talking to the cameraman you know tell me you're getting this and then that you know i don't know what it is but i'm getting it you know that scene like 30 like second 37 38 where he moves his fingers Man, that is just like how Rocket Man does it these days, you know? <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Eve Rossi and, yeah, the small control movements that they put. How cool. That was ahead of their time right yeah. there. That really is. It's interesting. You look at his, his left hand is very, very flat. You know, no drag. His right hand is turned a little bit. Um, that's, uh, you know, and if I don't know that it would work quite this way, but if, if you were using your hands like ailerons, I don't know, you... you Oh, is he giving it? You'd a, almost do it sort of the other way around. Where you, you'd have you would. It's like when yeah. more drag on the, the left side, but yeah, well, we've all stuck our hand out the window of the car, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he's a little backwards there, but it's I mean, cool nonetheless. To, is he trying to right himself? I mean, is that you know sticking it up? Ah, maybe. Yeah, that could yeah, be too. He's, yeah. Yeah. he's trying to trying to roll back the Take other way. To roll yeah. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at us. Trying Look to at us. Uh, Coming up next on the Rocketeer second. <laughs> yes, this is uh, armchair quarterback Dennis yes, Dunbar. Exactly. <laughs> this is the kind of nerdiest we look for in the show, and this is what everybody right. tunes in for. So. But uh, yeah, a great minute was we watch uh, it almost you know coming coming to a, an end here with uh, him corkscrewing into uh, Malcolm's um, it, right it, right where the rudder pedals are, or which he's never been using anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right, he's he's not making good use of it. But yeah, then that that shot looking up, poor poor bleary eyed Malcolm who's just he's having, uh, having a bad day, and then he gets hit yeah. gets hit in the face with a stick. Right, the stick comes off in his hands, conks himself in the head. You know, he's down. Yeah, but, um, you know, even though we're going into kind of the next second, it really kind of shows the uh, the, stu- the the stability of the innate stability of, of the standard because even without any kind of control, any kind of control left in the plane, it still <laughs> right. manages to fly, you know, straight and level. Yeah. Um, well, built as a, as a trainer as it originally was back then, you know, as a primary trainer, it, it would fly hands off. For, for some period of time, but uh, but boy, with all that drag and all those wires and and now this uh, you know this huge amount of extra weight straight below the cockpit, we're gonna you know it's not gonna stay straight and level on its own for very long. Yeah, 
Yeah, but uh, a nice that that very very last frame of of this minute where he's hanging on to the the same place where that wheel fell off onto into Jenny's soup bowl. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> so this wheel would make a much bigger splash in the soup. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he needs a bigger bowl. We'll be uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that that particular that, that particular situation tomorrow. But Dennis, it's been great having you on the show, uh, uh, talking about all these things. Uh, all the best with well, by the, no, this this will have not aired by the time uh, uh, this year's uh, air show is. Uh, but uh, but good luck with it all. And, well, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and say hi to those half million people that are going to be relying on you to entertain them. Yes. Uh, no you pressure. head over to the announcer stand, Dennis, and you tell everybody that Jim says hi. Yes. Yes. Well, how before we uh, before I interrupted you to talk about how his fingers were moving, the um, you made that comment about the are you getting this? And uh, to me, that is such. I know we're trying to wrap it up here. Oh, no, 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 no. But to me, that is that's a moment that transfers perfectly to today, and what we see everything going on YouTube and. Um, you know, you can't do anything at an air show these days without it being seen on YouTube. And, um, uh, it's been a major impact on what some would say has caused the air show business not to be quite as much fun as it used to be. (laughs) That's, that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, we do, uh, we do live webcams from around the grounds during the show and we've got some that just show the grounds and then. During the air show proper, uh, you know, we're streaming some stuff from a videographer who's actually up on the balcony of the control tower uh, here in Oshkosh. And uh, it's interesting. There's always that question is uh, so with those things. And then, of course, uh, social media, everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody's, you know, doing Facebook Live, going to YouTube, all these other things. Um, you know, is it diluting the experience for people? Are there people out there who feel like, you know, I don't have to be there because I can see it all on my computer or my smartphone? I like to think that people get more excited when they see all the stuff they could be watching in person and they want to come out and see the world, but hard to say. No, I would agree. I, uh, my, my tendency on going to things, I don't go to many air shows, but I go to a lot of rocket launches and I've, I've been with people who have never been to a rocket launch before and will be standing. Um, I usually watch from Titusville across the river from uh, pad 39. And when the shuttle would take off, everybody who's there for the first time watches this and, no matter, they always say the most unnecessary thing ever, ever needed to be said. They say, look at that. And everybody, like, <laughs> everybody's looking at that. You can't, you, you can't, uh, you know, you, you can't even, even place a, what, trying to explain the, the, uh, the experience versus looking at it through um, the other side of an iPhone. It, it, it's such a, it, it's such a feeling, you know, the, the, the sound and just the whole sky and hearing a hundred thousand people yell at the same time and clap. I mean, and I'm sure that's, that's how Oshkosh is when, when you have planes flying overhead or somebody doing a roll and everybody applauds behind it, that participation, you know, you're, you're a spectator, but you ha- you feel like you have to participate. You yell, go, 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 or you, you clap. Well, it's it's Jim. funny that you say that, and especially uh, I mean, straight from Oshkosh very quickly. Um, you know, we had uh, we had Eric Lindberg on the show, and we talked a bit about the X Prize and and things. And I think that's come up once or twice. And thanks to Eric, I was a guest at uh, one of the X Prize launches down in Mojave. Um, and I know we, I, Jim, I can't remember if this was recorded or if this was offline. We were talking with Billy a little bit somehow about James Cameron, who was also there. But uh, so. Folks may may hear a little bit of that story, maybe not. But uh, the one thing that does stick out, two things. Number one is every sign, every 
person in the place was wearing a button that said go, you know, the word go was just everywhere at this, uh, at this wonderful private, uh, private man space flight down in Mojave. But then, um, Jerry Pornell, the science fiction writer was there and he was the one person who wasn't looking where everybody else was. He was, he had his back to the entire thing, pretty much the entire time. For some reason, he was sort of holding court and grumbling about NASA, this, and you know, everything else. And, and finally I got up the nerd and say, you know, the spaceship one is about to land and you know, we're all, we're all watching this historic moment. He, you know, Hey, Jerry, you're going to, you're going to miss it. And he just, just looks and says, ah, I saw it a week ago. It's like, well, okay then. <laughs> but, uh, I, I never, I never understood how do you come to a space launch and not watch the whole, the whole thing, but yeah, it, 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 whatever it, works. It is fun watching people. Though. I mean, one of the other things, and I know we're going afield on all this stuff, but one of the things that I do enjoy at the Kennedy Space Center is they have one of the three uh, existing remaining Saturn Vs on display hanging off the ceiling. And uh, before, you're, before you're introduced to it, they have a, a sound and light display of uh, the launch of Apollo 8 where you're in the reconstruction of mission control uh, or launch control. They show that, and then they say, "Here's what a real one looks like," and they just open the doors to the Saturn V, and you come out. Oh, wow. You come out of the place, and you are looking at the business end of 363 feet of Saturn V. I mean, you're seeing these five F1 engines over your head, each one of which is, um, you know, going all the way back to the manifold. They're 11 feet tall, and it's it, it's it's directly over your head, and the thing's lying on its side above you, and. The first time I went, I was I was impressed. But at, now, whenever I go, I always turn around just to watch people and the most nonchalant people, the you know the the sullen teenagers that have seen everything and, and all this. <laughs> when they come out, they are they are the definition of gobsmacked. I mean, just this, the idea that this thing went to the moon. You know, many of these went to the moon. Um, it's just so exciting to watch people just get the the. There are no smirks. It. <laughs> Just goes Jim, away and it's just a mouse. That is so cool to hear you tell that. Um, I did some contract work for NASA and office at the SLF, the runway, if you will. And uh, but then I had a, another office that was tucked up in the corner on the second floor of that Saturn V building above the concession area. There. Oh, sure. They uh, it's a big conference room and it was actually built for the NASA administrator when he would come down. But they switched administrators while it was being built and he never used it. So when I needed to, like, focus on work, I'd get out of the SLF and go there. Well, I ended up loving that office, but the best thing about it was those that glass wall just uh, behind the engines. Yeah. Um, that's the door I would come in. Ah. So every time coming into work, <laughs> there were those five rockets and uh, motors. And uh, I, w- I would sit there. You couldn't not be inspired to go to work that day. Yeah. And uh, if you were ever just feeling bummed you just looked out the balcony down at that saturn five but i would love to stand there and watch people like you mentioned the youngsters that are usually with their faces buried in their ipods or ipads or whatever and i watch them come out that door and step back aghast at that power that i mean the most powerful machine man has built and that was so cool yeah. to watch that so to hear you say that just totally made my day I oh yeah that. it's like every 20 minutes you just had a new yeah. a new refreshing view of gee there's there's hope for mankind yet that people you know these kids yeah. understand 
how great a thing this was. Well, and like how I was talking about the guy who, you know, had his back to the landing. You know, everybody thinks I'm crazy, but during when the Thunderbirds or Blue Angels fly and they do that sneak pass, I don't watch that pass. That's my moment I enjoy. I take that moment from every air show. I quit working. And I turn and I watch the crowd react to that sneak pass. And you can literally point out the kids that, like me, when I was 10 years old, are now hooked. <laughs> and uh, that when you see that reaction that they have, that's the best. So when the Blues are here at Oshkosh, which will be the first time the Blues have ever come to Oshkosh, because we don't have a, we had to go through a lot of work to get an aerobatic box for them to fit in. I'm going to love watching that crowd <laughs> react to the Blue Angels. So Awesome. Wow. That's cool. You're here. Wow. Well, again, thanks so much for being on, Dennis. I, 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 love, I love hearing stories about this. I love telling stories about this. So it, it's just I, the, the most unexpected thing of, of doing this show is how many stories we can, we can fit into one show. <laughs> uh, but we've got, we've got a lot more to go. And maybe we can have you back on in, in the future to talk some more stuff because I, I love hearing this kind of stuff. Yeah, be my pleasure. This was fun. Well, great. Well, uh, for folks who want to uh, tell or listen to more stories, you can find us on a bunch of different social media. We're available, of course, always on Twitter at uh, Rocketeer Minute. You can find us at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. Go to the big site, rocketeerminute.com. You can find all the episodes, all the all the swag that we you know have from Amazon is out there, and you can uh, leave messages on every, on every one of those episodes that, that's out there. Uh, please, if you haven't signed up already, go to iTunes or Google Play, search for Rocketeer Minute, click subscribe, and you'll get this delivered hot and fresh every morning, uh, so you can listen to, to new things. And we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more stuff here as the uh, the Rocketeer grows and tries to save um, poor Malcolm who's up in that up in that standard. Um, but join us here tomorrow on the Rocketeer Minute. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you there uh, Wednesday. So until then, over and out. Go get him, kid.